Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. It's just a, a great conference that is at a at a point right now where they're I think clearly the best group of five conference in the country. The state of Sun Belt football is the strongest in our history, uh, and we got to continue to showcase uh, what our league is about. This league is insane. Yeah, it might be like one of those eighth wonders of the world. <laughs> and you can see just what a great group of five conference it really is. It, it's a big deal. Boy, life is looking pretty good in the Sun Belt these days. Very excited about the Sun Belt. We started the Sun Belt uh, back in '76, and I'm I'm very proud of what has transpired through the years. You know, while other conferences have been breaking up, our conference has become stronger. Edit that out, Dusty. We're expecting a very physical game with Houston, and it's way Coach Sampson's team's play. Uh, certainly, we got that. We knew that it'd be an issue on the glass. I mean, we worked at it. We're a pretty good rebounding team too. Our, our, our starting center uh, didn't dress tonight, like a couple of their guys didn't dress, so, and uh, a guard of ours as well. But they did a great job on their offensive boards. They got quickness to every 50-50 ball in the first half, and they deserved the lead they had. Second half, we battled. Got back in the game, got it to seven, had two possessions in a row. We had clean looks at threes that we missed that would have cut it to four and could have possibly had a, a really good finish on our hands. But uh, weren't good enough tonight. They beat us to loose balls. They beat us in the glass bad. And One area you did kind of excel in is keeping them off the three-point shot. Was that something that you saw to kind of extend that defensive set? Well, <clears throat> they're so good. Uh, at offensive rebounding. It, I mean, they can rebound those just as well. But, you know, we tell our guys, I told them this week, the game starts when the ball's in the air, you know, or hits the rim because they're, they're just very uh, strong rebounding team. And three-point shots are coming off too. We, they, we know they can make them. Sasser doesn't play tonight. That, that certainly helps our cause. I think he's a dynamic guard. It's playing really well for them and one of their better scorers. So, uh, but I thought uh, – uh, she played good, did a nice job, and, and they didn't shoot the three. As you said, they made one in each half. But also thought Taz Moore stepped up in a big way in the first half. I thought he was a big part of their lead. You guys get it within seven. You finish one for 13 down the stretch at that point. Was it something they did? did you, do you feel like you just ran out of gas? What was it? Well, just we, we missed a couple, but it, I think it's uh, more of what they did. You know, we won um, – we get a come out with a loose ball or a long rebound, and we, we go down, and we've got a chance. One of our better players has a chance to, to make a layup, and they pin it off the glass and go down and score, right? So stuff like that, that's nothing we did. It's a credit to, to Houston. Their athleticism and strength, you know. But we needed to make more shots, obviously. Another tough uh, non-conference schedule. How does this 
really help prepare your team as conference schedule starts here in about two weeks? Certainly, uh, we feel like it can help, uh, you know, playing a team. We played Alabama earlier, ironically, uh, and and then to play uh, Houston. And uh, appreciate Coach Sampson having us over. We were going to play this game last year, in case you guys didn't know, and it got pushed out because of COVID. But uh, opportunity to, to improve. I mean, we won't play a better rebounding team than this one, you know, all year uh, unless we play them again in the NCAA tournament because they're as good as anybody in the country. Uh, but a good experience for our guys to go into a tough environment and, and uh, in battle. Tough game, but really a, a tell of two halves. You know, they really kind of jumped out to a big lead there in the first half. Y'all made it close in the second half. How did y'all uh, kind of make that adjustment at halftime? Yeah, the main thing was just boxing out and getting defensive rebounds. Because, like, in the first half, they had, like, 15 offensive rebounds. And so Coach told us to block out. And I was in the Skyrim court all week, so we just started blocking out and running in transition. A great experience coming to Houston, top 25 team. How does this really get y'all prepared down the stretch for Sunbelt Conference games? Yeah, it was big for us just knowing that we could play with anybody, getting it that close down to seven. Um, just being able to stay together throughout the course during conference so we can play with anybody. So it gave us confidence this game. Welcome into Fun Belt Podcast. As you heard from Louisiana Lafayette head coach Bob Marlin and guard Kentrell Garnett, they fall last night to Houston 71-56. Jeremy, our, our hype of Super Tuesday for Sun Belt Conference basketball, it, it, you heard Coach Marlin say it. They're not going to play a team better than that once the conference starts, but for right now, it's kind of a bloodbath, and that's exactly what we saw this week early on in conference basketball. Yes, but let's – all right, let's take a breath. Let's step back just a little bit. Yes, it would have been great on Super Tuesday. if All those three big games that came up, it was, what, Louisiana versus number 14 Houston. It was Arkansas State versus number 25 Texas Tech. And then Georgia State, which is supposed to be one of the best teams in the Sun Belt against the against Mississippi State. So we were hoping for a great performance from one of those three. Plus, you know, the, the let's go ahead and win these others that came through on Super Tuesday. And it did happen. But stepping back, let's take a breath. Going to somebody's home court is always tough, Thibodeau. I mean, what was that environment like? You were there at the Houston game. What was that environment like? I can tell you this, Jeremy. Last night, going to the Fertitta Center mm-hmm. on the campus of Houston. Yeah. I get to see how the other half live, and I'll tell you, <laughs> I like how the other half live. That is a fantastic, intimate yeah. stadium. Yeah, nice champagne was, and caviar. Uh, and- they, they had a champagne fountain in midcourt. You got to walk out there and, and <laughs> dip your crystal into it. No, it, it was – it was great, well-lit, well-produced game. Obviously not the outcome that we wanted because we wanted to see a Sunbelt upset in it. But, man, there's no, there's no doubt in my mind that they don't belong in the Big 12 after seeing that facility there at the Fertitta Center. Well, let's face it, Houston has always been – you know, they have had great football programs. But Houston, in my mind, when I think of Houston, I always think of big basketball programs. Kudos for Louisiana for, for clawing back at one point. It looked like Louisiana might have a chance to make a game of it. Then I guess it slipped away, right? Yeah, it was it was pretty crazy. Uh, Houston was on fire the first half, but really it was a tell of two halves. I think the Cajuns just had too much of a hole to try to overcome, get the lead in the second half, did get it to within six. 
able to hold the Cougars, though, to two of 11 from three-point land. Basically, the Cougars made one in each half of the game. And and that was it. That was it from the outside. The rest was inside. Some great dunks on the night. It was a good little slam dunk competition. <laughs> but enough of that. We had a couple more losses before we get to the big wins that we did have in the Sun Belt Conference. All right. You mentioned Mississippi State beat yeah. Georgia State 79-50. Panthers were not even in the game. Yes, and our colleague, Ben Moore, we, we kind of saw him via uh, – Twitter kind of commenting on the game and you can tell he was a bit dismayed and I'm a bit dismayed, you know, Mississippi state comes in, not exactly uh, knocking down uh, uh, buckets in the way that some of these other teams have, you think, well, maybe the Panthers who have come into uh, the Sun Belt or came into the season with some pretty big expectations and they just can't seem to get it together, whether it's COVID protocols that they can't seem to follow, whether I think they have some injuries going on, not getting blown out by Mississippi State. In addition, I believe they got blown out. They got blown out by Richmond. And, and now you wonder, is Georgia State really in a state to compete coming into Sunbelt play at the end of the month? Yeah, I mean, they shoot 32% on the night there in Stark Vegas, of which 26% was in the first half. It was an ugly shooting game. And I, and, and I get it that those games are going to happen. You just have to try to limit those and bounce back. Yeah, so anyway, not a great game for the Sun Belt or for definitely for Georgia State. You wonder what's going on inside the program, if there's some doubts. But who knows? You know, once you get back in the Sun Belt play, it's always a different story. But I'd like to talk a little bit about a certain game that happened between my Arkansas State Red Wolves and number 25, Texas Tech. They lost just to – let that yeah. cat out of the bag. They did lose. Yeah. And you know what? All right. So you go into a game with Texas Tech, ranked 25th. Well, they just have, came off a big win against the Volunteers. Uh, I think they've got one loss on the season. Last time Arkansas State played Texas Tech, uh, Arkansas State won. It happened in the early 90s off on a last-second three-pointer. Uh, that was even a little – that was actually when I was in college at that time. Uh, so we came over to Lubbock. Arkansas State did and and played toe to toe for about I don't know ten minutes and then Texas Tech said okay we're going to put twenty points on you so at halftime Arkansas State was down twenty points and I thought all right well this is when we lose by forty but quite frankly Arkansas State made an adjustment at halftime which is something you don't always see we had our big guy Omar uh, Omir uh, uh, Norchad Omir who had foul trouble early on. The big scorer, Desi Sills, could not find a bucket, but he ended up finding other ways to contribute. It was really actually a good team effort. Ended up losing by 13. It's just something that, you know, you look at on paper, isn't a very good score. But going into Lubbock against the number 12 team in the country, I, I saw a team with the Red Wolves that, to me, had some skills. I Especially Omar uh, uh, Norchad Omir delivered a thunder rejection which might, you might see it on ESPN, that was just off the charts. Not, uh, not a victory. Again, on Super Tuesday, not getting the results we were hoping for. There are no such thing as moral victories. You know what that is, Thibodeau? FCS mentality? That's FCS mentality. So, yeah, that sucked. But Does that apply in basketball? Can you have FCS mentality in basketball? I don't know, because quite frankly, uh, it seems like everybody is a – a Division One basketball program now with 360 <laughs> programs. I mean, how what could you call FCS and what can you not? I mean, maybe call it Division Two uh, 
Club mentality. I don't know how you would call that. Our friends down in Troy took a page out of the Arkansas State book, and they? they took on the SWACs, Alabama A&M. Had a pretty good game. Won the contest 66-57. Another good tune-up there for the Trojans as they get ready for the Sunbelt Conference play as they had 35 points off the bench. A great team effort and, and really impressive there of what Scott Cross has done and really getting them ready for their conference opener, Texas State, to play in San Marcos. Mm, I think uh, Texas State should be a little bit worried about that game. I mean, I, I don't know if Troy's in position this year to compete, but they're certainly in position to make you work. Uh, Scott Cross is going to make sure that it seems like, you know, that was a big taking care of business win. They got the win. You know, we've seen SWAC teams come up and SWAT you before, so good for Scott Cross. You know, that's just one of those teams that I know that I'm going to look forward, forward, forward to seeing, but also with a little bit of dread when they, when they come meet Arkansas State. South Alabama gets the big win there over Tarleton State. Ooh, that's but Tarleton was up at halftime. That was a little bit spooky for South Bama. But I tell you, I think that, that Tarleton State, first of all, is a lot better than what people are going to give them credit for. They're in the process of moving over into the WAC. Mm, uh, are they now in the Conference USA? See, they've moved so many times. No one knows who they are or where they are. But I, was, have to admit, I don't know them very well. I don't know them at all. The Texans. Well, anyway, that was, though, another take care of business win. Now, South Bama scared probably at the end of the first half, wondered perhaps if they were going to get sort of clocked and clobbered by a team they should be able to put away. It doesn't look like that happened. Good for South Alabama. Biggest win on the night, your ULM Warhawks go to Stephen F. Austin. Yeah. The Lumberjacks had only lost three times in the past three years. You can now make it four times in four years as the Warhawks pull off the 82-69 win Nika with 21 points, a game high, and that included four of six from three-point land. Really a good dominating performance there for the Warhawks in this contest. Yeah, you know what? It, it, you looked at Super Tuesday, and you're like, okay, we got some big games here, and you kind of overlooked that ULM Lumberjacks game, and you should because the, the Stephen F. Austin has been in the tournament of recently and have been pretty damn good. So now you've got a pretty good win there for ULM, who was not doing well in the net rankings, probably picked up a really good win there. And now maybe a team that you can look at and say, okay, these guys are, are in for business. Not and part they, of Super Tuesday was yeah. Coastal Carolina, but they did have a big win earlier in the week when mm -hmm. they downed old SoCon rival Wofford 60-59. to 59. It was actually a late yeah. shot that got the shots back on top and getting that good key victory in that game. Yeah, I was monitoring that through Twitter. Uh, and it looked like uh, Coastal Carolina had that game in the bag late. And then suddenly it was like, we've lost the lead. And I was a little shocked by that. So it looked like uh, Cliff Ellis managed to, to sort of circle the wagons and, and find a way at the end there to climb out of that hole and win the game. Congratulations to Cliff. That just is, that, to me, that's just, that's just a good indication of just how professional Cliff Ellis is and how he can get his team to kind of calm down and, and, and essentially put that ribbon onto the gift at the very end instead of just completely falling apart. So once again, here's another team, Tibbs, the Coastal Carolina, which we kind of thought early in the season might, might, not, you know, might not be as competitive as they have been in the past. 
here they are looking kind of tough. With that said, Super Tuesday, we didn't get the major upsets like we expected. No, we didn't. But I think if we rewind to football season, yeah, one of the surprise teams that really was out there that we did get some surprise wins, the surprise of them shooting out of the gate at 3-0 and was the South Alabama Jaguars. Absolutely. Joining us now is going to be the man that oversaw the Jags rise in the early part of the season. He's just the third head coach in that program's history, and that is Kane Womack. So welcome in, Coach. Hey, guys. How we doing? Good. Doing all right. Yes. Kane Womack is in our green room. He's <laughs> eaten all of our Slim Jims. He's eaten all of our Ritz crackers. He's had all of our beer. We're going to have to go shopping again. How did you know I like Slim Jims? <laughs> what coach doesn't? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. If you if you stick the Slim Jims in the beer and then you twirl it around, you know what I mean, like a like a straw or whatever, it's uh, pretty good. I think that's how you get protein in your beer. I mean, beer is all <laughs> wheat, right? That's just carbs. You put a little protein in there, and then you've got a health shake. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. Kate okay, Womack. Well, Congratulations, you're back in the Sun Belt. You started in the Sun Belt, from what I understand, right? You were uh, with, uh, with South Bama, but you came by way of Arkansas as a player. Uh, yes. So you, you know the South very well. You left for a time, and now you're back in Mobile. What drew you back to Mobile, which I think is one of the best cities in the South? Yeah. You know, um, I, I feel like, um, you know, uh, so I was here before as Joey Jones' defense coordinator. Um, I was – Fortunate enough, I was the D coordinator at Eastern Illinois where Tony Romo played all that stuff. And I got a call from Joey at 28 years old, and he gave me an opportunity to be a defense coordinator down here. And um, my wife, Melissa, and I, I mean, we like, we fell in love with the city. It's got, you know, this is where Mardi Gras originated. I always kind of break it up into like, it's a part Southern hospitality, a part, you know, family-friendly New Orleans, that kind of deal. Um, and then you've got that coastal vibe, right? So there's a lot of things going on in a very diverse city with a lot of great commerce and all that stuff. And and really, South Alabama has benefited from that, right? Being a, a part of a city and, and, and our medical uh, healthcare system, all that stuff is really great. Now, fast forward, right? You get all these resources put into, you know, $100 million in uh, football facilities and, you know, new stadium, uh, new indoor facility. We have a game day locker room. We have a practice locker room. I mean, how many group of five programs get to say all that stuff? So it's really cool. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, here you are also in a, in a very talent rich area um, with a great recruiting footprint and, and, and a place that I feel very connected to. So, I mean, Mo Mobile is my favorite city, man. It's the place that I, I, I knew whenever the opportunity came to, to come back to Mobile, I, I was going to take it. And, I didn't know it was going to happen this fast, um, you know, but at the same time, it's uh, it's pretty great, man. And, and we love being here. You know, uh, Coach Womack, I, I was thinking about South Alabama. You know, I, I got to visit Mobile in, in, in a, a bowling capacity for several, several years when Arkansas State would come down to Mobile. And that's where yeah. I fell in love with the city. But I was thinking about how tough it must be. To, to recruit in Alabama in terms of you've got so many programs out there looking for the same recruits. Not only do you have Alabama and Auburn out there, you got the Troys, you got the UAPs. It's just a crowded market. How does Kane Womack 
how do you how do you uh, penetrate the the sort of uh, the, the the constant din of recruiting to get the guys you want? Yeah, you know, um, here I think when you look at the the landscape of 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 recruiting now, right? And now you've added in the transfer portal, and that that's a completely different dynamic, right? So um, I think for high school players. You know, I, we use the, we talk about narrowing the scope, right? And we use the line from, you know, from uh, the movie, The Patriot, right? Aim small, miss small, right? So if you bring guys in that, um, you know, that are, that are close to your recruiting footprint, you have great connections um, in terms of your network of coaches um, and with, with the staff that we brought in here. And every kid that like, for example, every kid that just committed to us um, and, and signed with us today from, from the high school, they, they came here in the summertime, they worked out for us, they, they did, uh, you know, they ran a 40, we got their height, weight, 40 time, they did a position meeting, we made them regurgitate that information back to us, like we know exactly what we're getting from these guys, right, and so I think you know, when you talk about, okay, how do you find your niche, you become great evaluators. And when you find somebody, you make sure you get them on campus. And if they don't come on our campus, then you don't take their commitment. Um, and so I think that to me, you, know, you look at Mississippi, you look at uh, Alabama, a little part of the panhandle of Florida, you know, Major Applewhite, our offensive coordinator, and Michael Smith are from, Major's from Baton Rouge, Smitty's from New Orleans. So you get a little bit of connection recruiting in that area. And so you go where you know people and then you evaluate, evaluate, evaluate. So coach, it's right at the one year anniversary of you becoming the third head coach at South Alabama. Yeah. What'd you learn this year? Um, well, you know, I mean, you, you always know what this place can be first and foremost. Right. And that's, that's what, you know, people talk about this program being a sleeping giant and, and an untapped resource and all these other things, right? At the end of the day, right? At some point you got to win football games and you got to start becoming that championship program that people are talking about. And, you know, five and seven is, is not good enough, right? That's not the expectation here. That's not what we're capable of doing. And yet at the same time, you take some momentum from the games that we played and, and you know, you look at the standard bearers in our league of losing a lot, or excuse me, Louisiana right now. And, um, you know, we, we miss a field goal with 40 seconds to beat them, right? Lose 20 to 21-20, you know, losing double overtime to Coastal Carolina at the end of the season. Uh, all those opportunities that you have, you go, okay, all right, I, I can see where we're moving forward and we need to continue to do some things in terms of roster management and, and improving at certain spots. But um, the foundation is good here, right? And I think it's something that we can really build off of moving forward. You look at facilities, you look at resources, you look at, you know, um, recruiting footprint and all those things and, and the, the energy that is starting to surround our program from the people of Mobile and the surrounding areas. And you go, OK, this this place can be everything that I thought it was going to be when I took the job a year ago. Yeah. So, it's, you know, kind of segueing off of that, when you first was a when you were a coordinator, when you were an assistant at South Alabama at first, you guys were playing at Lad People Stadium, which by the way, I love Lad People Stadium. Yeah. I'm one of the few people who do. It's just a old pile of asbestos made only for football. <laughs> you know, that's what I like about it. There's nothing fancy about it. You get there, you watch football. It's great. There's no restaurants or luxury boxes or anything like that. It's just a great place to play football. But that being said, moved into the brand new stadium. It was sort of 
last year was they they officially had the new stadium but it w didn't right. feel like because of covid that soft it was soft opening right right yeah soft launch <laughs> so and then you get new facilities how stoked are recruits when they see these new facilities popping up in mobile well, I think that's why, right, you get some of these players, you know, we get LaDamian Webb, who was Mr. Alabama, um, a running back a couple couple years ago, right? He comes down here last week, or Carter Bradley, um, who was a starting quarterback in, in at, at Toledo. And then they come down here, and I think they're blown away when they see this, right? And I'll be honest with you, when they flew me down here, I had been here before, right? Like, I had seen a lot of these things, but it's just completely different now when you – you add Hancock Whitney Stadium or the, our Jaguar Training Center, our indoor facility. It's the biggest in the state of Alabama, right? And um, two, you know, two new our practice fields were revamped. They got film towers on it now. Revamped some things in our field house, like so. I mean, that that those are the things I think you go. Okay, people that have come before you care deeply about winning and being successful here at South Alabama, and I think that is enticing too. It's not just the brick and mortar. But it's knowing that all this energy and effort was put into these things, right? And that people care that deeply about being successful, even when the on-field success has not been there um, in recent years. And I think that's what, to me, um, you know, some of that wow factor that has, that has immediately played itself out in recruiting here recently for us. You shot out to an early 3-0 winning streak to, to kick off the season. Big part of that was your quarterback, two of our favorite players, Jake Bentley and then receiver Jalen Talbert. What yeah. did they mean to you in this program this past year? Well, you know, you're sitting there. Um, it was a pretty surreal moment, right, when just after year one, and I'm standing there on the 20-yard line for senior senior day and out trots Jake Bentley and, and Jalen Tolbert and those two guys specifically, and you think about – you know, I recruited Jalen when I was here before, right? And, and you know, he had a chance to go to a, a Power 5 team in the Big Ten, and, you know, he chose to stay home, right? He chose to do something special. And so you see a guy like him and watch his career early on and then from afar during the middle part and then get a chance to be a part of his senior year. And then you get to know Jake Bentley, who comes to us by way of South Carolina and obviously Will Muschamp and Major Applewhite had this, you know, connection from Texas and, so you get to know Jake and you hear his story and all these things. And then all the energy and time and effort and experience that he brings into our program. And it's like, you just realize how special those guys are. Right. And one of them built it here from, from the ground up, right. As a freshman, the other one came in and put everything he had as a senior with his last go round. Um, and we needed that, right. We needed both those guys um, to, to be able to come in and, and do something special. And as, as much as we wanted to win one or two more games and whatever it may be in year one, those guys laid a foundation that we're going to be able to build off of for years to come. And, you know, I told Jake, man, I, I, you know, I, you, you only get to be a, a first-year head coach one time, and there's really not another quarterback that I would have rather, you know, got to experience this with and be able to go back over the years and say, Jake Bentley was my first guy. You know, I mean, that was my first quarterback that I got to got to go through this first season with. And that'll be something special that him and I will share for years to come. Oh, that's really nice. You know, but, you know, he's gone, right? He yeah, and Albert, yeah. they're gone. So, was, <laughs> <laughs> so was, you know, with the early signing period, which is always a little whack, you know, do you, you get everybody you need, do you not? Uh, 
How did South Alabama do this time? How are we doing? Well, um, I mean, as always, right, you'll, you'll, you'll know more on September 3rd and you'll know at the, in, in December, right? Uh, like, but I, here's, the, here's the deal. We, we um, you know, it, it's, such a, it's such a different dynamic, right? You sign about 15 guys um, and then you realize, okay, well, we got like 17 spots left, right? Um, which we knew, right? We want to hold spots for January. You want to make sure guys in the transfer portal, some of these fresh, these high school players that hold out for a power five, right? You're going to make sure you get, um, but man, did, you know, you sit there and look and you're like, boy, for, for the beginning, um, you know, the early signing period for a group of five program, you move the dial forward with the high school players you brought in. You've got total difference makers in the transfer portal, you know, in terms of Carter Bradley coming with all the experience that he has, and he's a little bit better athlete than maybe Jake walking out the door. Damian Webb is a game changer for us. You know, I mean, you look at our offensive production, we did some tremendous things in the passing game, but but came, you know, we, we left too much out there in the run game, and, and you know, we'll, we'll improve in a lot of areas in the run game, but boy, when you have a dynamic, uh, you know, running back that can that is really an all-purpose back, right? He can do a little bit of everything. That was huge for us. Um, DJ Thomas from Ole Miss transferring back. You know, he's a Sarah Land kid right up the road. You know, you start looking at some of those guys, two kids that played for me. I recruited at Indiana and CJ Person and DK Bonhomme uh, now coming in a D lineman and an outside linebacker. So you see good pieces of the puzzle of guys that can plug and play right now upgrades in a lot of ways um, and then certainly from a high school standpoint we're just getting a, a higher caliber of player right now than, than what we've gotten in years past and so um, moving the dial forward but we got to develop them now and, and keep rocking and rolling. You mentioned Joey Jones the, being the guy that really stepped out and, and gave you the opportunity there is that a guy you're still in touch with knowing that he was the first football coach there of the program and, and kind of listening to maybe a little bit of his guidance of seeing what his vision is, knowing he was the first guy and, and, and keeping the road going? Yeah, you know, I think that's, um, I think that was a unique thing for me, right, to be able to come take this head job is knowing where this program was headed from its inception, right? I wasn't here from the beginning, but I, I sat in meetings for two years from the head coach that did build it from the ground up. And, um, you know, I the first game of the season when we played Southern Miss and um, and, uh, and, and got after those boys, which was really fun. Right. I got to invite, uh, I invited Joey to the game. And so, you know, I run out of the tunnel and he's right there on the sideline and he's the first guy I go up. And I just, I wanted him to know, like, listen, none of this is possible. Hancock Whitney's not here. This, this indoor facility, I'm not here as the head coach, right. Without the things at the foundation that Joey Jones laid. And that's really special. Um, and so I think that knowing, where we were going, you know what I mean, or where we were headed in terms of where we got to go moving forward is is um, is a unique perspective. Um, but but it, it, it is, man. I mean, the most exciting thing about being the head coach here at South Alabama is to know that our best days are ahead of us. And there were people that went in before of us to, to build this program, coaches, players alike, right, that, that came here to build something special. And now we get to um, to work off of that foundation that was laid. You mentioned the best days are ahead of you. The landscape of the Sunbelt Conference is really changing, and you'll get to go after Southern Miss every single year. Yeah. How big is that to add a regional rival like that 
as well as the other schools that, you know, really enhance the footprint of the Sunbelt Conference? Um, pretty great. I mean, you know, I, I certainly I think it's it's great for fans because from a travel perspective, right, that's that's one less time that you're going to go to Boone, North Carolina and and, you know, four more times, right, that you're going to go to Hattiesburg, Mississippi. So th- those are those are positive things for our fan base. I think the regional rivalries are really good. I think it, it um, you know, it makes it competitive. And anytime things get more competitive, right, you bring out the best in people, you know, C- certainly you bring out the worst in times as well. But but just in terms of competitiveness, right, you either you either uh, maximize your opportunity, right, or you get left in the dust. And so I, I think from a recruiting standpoint, things become more competitive um, from an on-field uh, competition is really good. So I, I think it's a good thing all around, um, you know, when you look at, at the way this thing's going to be structured and hopefully, you know, Troy will be coming over to our side of the league here in the West. And, you know, we, we were fortunate um, this year to be able to compete uh, and the games we did, you know, really outside of Tennessee, they, they kicked our ass. But outside of that, you know, we were competitive in every single game um, and with a young team. I think, you know, maybe us and Arkansas State, I think, were the two youngest teams in the league. Um, and you start looking at some of the, the opportunities moving forward. Um, it, it, it certainly makes it exciting with the guys we brought in here recruiting. It gives you an urgency to bring the right guys here in January. Um, but you're looking ahead to, to these next couple of years going, boy, we could we could be a, 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 a pretty heavy contender for the next few years in the Sun Belt. Let me ask you something, Coach Romack. Are you a basketball fan? Am I a basketball fan? Yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm a basketball fan. I love I mean, I love watching it and all those things. It's always fun I, in some ways watching something that you can't do yourself uh, and you come to appreciate that, right? Me uh, for all sports, yes. That's right, that's right. Um, but no, I, you know, it's actually, um, I think there's a lot to be learned, you know what I mean, from, from basketball, part, particularly in the recruiting world right now because they were already operating in the portal in yeah. terms of, you know, there was a little bit more of transfers going on and bringing new teams in and, all of a sudden one or two guys um, leave and you have to replace them immediately. And that's, that's the world we're living in. So, you know, Richie Riley, our, our basketball coach was, did a tremendous job in portal recruiting over the last couple of years and, and transfers and bringing guys in. And so getting some of those dynamics from him and then watching the way they operate as an offense, obviously, you know, five guys on the court, a completely different deal schematically, but at the same time you start realizing, okay, even for their philosophy is you you're simple enough and yet diverse enough that you keep people off their marker, but you also got to be able to let these transfers come in and plug and play immediately. So it really changes the dynamic of how you do things. And, um, and so, yeah, I think there's always something to be learned from, from other sports. Well, basketball Jags are off to a good start. And we actually did talk about that Tibbs and I, a couple of days ago about would, the what the Jaguars are doing on the basketball court yeah. would that become sort of a, a a new paradigm shift for how others in the Sun Belt will do? And really, it's interesting that you said you, you sort of paralleled that with with football recruiting because football recruiting isn't a whole new uh, new uh, world yeah. with transfers and NIL and all these things that are just completely different. It's early signing days. So yeah, that was interesting that you would mention that. I was just wondering if you had seen any Jags games. I, yeah, I, I, I had, but uh, 
Um, and we, we are, we are fast and we are athletic. Um, we got to, uh, you know, we got to, got to slow down a couple, you know, we turned the ball over a couple of times early, which is probably to be expected with a, with a new, new group of guys. Um, but man, they play fast and they play hard. And, you know, Richie's done a tremendous job of building a culture, you know, year in and year out where you do have new guys that are coming in and, and old guys leaving and all that stuff. And it's just becoming at a faster rate, right? It's different than developing guys over four years and they're leaving now. It's like one and two year contracts, right? Um, and so we're, we're, we're going through some of the same things and we'll continue to go through some of the same things. And, uh, and so I think there's something to be learned from that. But, I, uh, but uh, you know, Richie's, Richie really has helped in kind of laying the foundation, even though it's a different sport and how you can, you can operate stuff. Your offensive coordinator, Major Applewhite, I, I, I think every time there's any job opening, oh, it's going to be Major Applewhite. It's going to be Major Applewhite. <laughs> how have you kind of been able to hold on to him? I mean, I know he's only been there the, the one year, but been able to hold on to him. And, and what does he do to kind of bring the attention that you, you want to bring to your program? Well, you know, I mean, Major's um, – Major has had obviously a, a pretty amazing career at this point, you know what I mean? And he's only, you know, young forties, but here's a guy that obviously had tremendous success at Texas and is beloved by their fan base. And then, you know, quickly escalates to being Nick Saban's offensive coordinator at 27 years old at Alabama. Right. And then he goes back with Matt Brown as a co-offensive coordinator becomes a goes with Tom Herman to Houston then becomes the head coach at Houston so like you know there the major has some some tremendous things and experiences um, both both success and adversity in an early part of his career that we've learned from right and that we're able to utilize you know the things that he's done well and the things that that he's trial and error and all those things uh, moving forward into our program and that's part of what I wanted right I wanted that experience I wanted someone that is um, you know, seeing the highs and the lows of college football and knows how to navigate it moving forward. And that to me um, was really awesome. You know, we, Mage and I first met each other, uh, I guess now two years ago, um, at, where all great relationships in Mobile start at Veet's Bar downtown, um, where the, all the senior bowl, you know, scouts and they all kind of hang out. We were both down here, um, met up, talked, talked about what was kind of next you know, what did he envision was the next opportunity in, in his mind and started realizing that, that a lot of the things that we see philosophically were aligned. And, uh, and so we ended up uh, um, connecting, talking, and then a year later, you know, I get the call from Joel Erdman to be the head coach at South Alabama. And the first text message out of, you know, telling my mom and dad I got the job, right, was to Major Applewhite. And, uh, you know, Major had other suitors um and yeah that uh, would be us <laughs> i appreciate that well you know not, not not naming names you know what i mean but um but i i i think i did one of the best jobs in recruiting i've ever done um and and to be able to uh uh convince him and julie that this was the right opportunity for them and uh and so we we basically, we actually cleared the building. This was, you know, uh, uh, down during that time to make sure nothing got out um, that he was coming down to visit us. So we cleared the stadium, we cleared the field house, all those things brought him down for a few hours. Loved every bit of it on both sides and I offered him the job that night. And, and then soon after that, we're 
recruiting our tails off for guys like Jake Bentley. So um, really, really special to be able, able to have him and his experiences. We'll end you with this one there, Coach. You have a political science degree. When, when, when coaching is over, will we have to refer to you as Governor Womack? <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, you know, I, so I was, I was, I was interested in, in politics and, um, you know, political theory. And, you know, frankly, I was like, you mean I, I get to write less papers and argue a little bit more in class that, and that makes sense to me. So, um, you know, I, I did, I, I got a degree in political science. Um, I'll be honest, I am not very, uh, uh, very uh, politically savvy and, 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 and do not keep up with things to the level that I need to. Um, I'm sure that comes as a shock to you guys from a head football coach. But, uh, but no, I, I think, um, you know, I, I did. At one point, I thought my backup plan, I've wanted to be a football coach since I was six years old, right? So, like, that's been my dream and my passion since day one. But, you know, I think my backup plan uh, was, was law school, which seems a bit lofty now as I look back on that. Um, but, uh, but I do, I find politics fascinating. And I think um, at the end of the day, right, you're, you're trying to cast a vision for, for a bunch of people, um, whether it's football, whether it's politics, whatever, um, and, and then holding people accountable to, to accomplish that vision together. And that really is, I think, what makes any great leader successful, right? Can you cast vision on one hand and on the other hand, hold everyone relentlessly accountable to the detail of accomplishing that vision over and over and over again. And so, uh, you know, makes a good head coach and, and uh, probably makes a good governor too. Well, Governor Womack, we greatly appreciate you joining us here on Fun Belt Podcast. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks guys. I appreciate it. Jay's up and Elio.